It's the Low Score Podcast. And now, here's Bobby and Jay. Oh, dude, Walker, you're in for a surprise because you are a liar. You're not. I'm not here with Jay. In fact, you are here with... I'm here with Kevin. Bobby, you're over there. Nope. No, we don't do that yet. Oh, so, I'm sorry. No, that's, that's fine. We'll just, uh, you know, we'll roll with it. So we're going to do like, we'll do a little pre-show banter, right? Okay. And then we get to the point where we realize that it's not a podcast about that banter. Oh, okay. So you mis- deliberately misunderstand the genre of the podcast. Right, exactly. And then you re- renegotiate what the podcast is? Correct. And then we, yeah, we have to get it back to the point where, where it is the podcast about the things that Okay, because you don't want people who start listening to initially think that they're listening to the right podcast. Correct. Okay. They're supposed to be a, like, oh, right. Wait, what happened here? Okay. I mean, it sounds like the people that I recognize from my podcast, but the subject matter is entirely different. Okay. So it's one of those, did I, you know, wake up uh, and am I still in the same reality I was in before? Am I Bill Murray? Oh, so it's basically a Groundhog Day scenario is yes, what we're looking exactly. at. Okay. So we, um, the thing I want to talk to you about is the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Okay. So I'm here in Pittsburgh. We'll get into that. But uh, I'm here in Pittsburgh. And... I did the drive up, and the Pennsylvania Turnpike is one of the strangest strips of road I've ever encountered. Mm-hmm. So, it begin well. M- my uh, experience of it begins in Breezewood, Pennsylvania. Which yes, is where interstate- most most people coming from where you came from yeah. experience it that way. So you're driving along Interstate 70. You're going like a decent clip. Uh, and by the way, like the 55 mile an hour speeds through there is ridiculous, but. You're going at a decent clip, and then the highway dead ends. Like, a major interstate in the United States, an I, not just like a route, an I-70, mm-hmm. comes to a complete dead end Yep, in a town. In a town that has gas stations, hotels, and restaurants, yes. Yeah. So, uh, then you make a big right, mm-hmm. and they're like, all right, well, you know, the free ride is over, son. Yep. Get on this turnpike. You're gonna pay a big old toll. I did. I did find an easy pass, which Good. which helped a bit. So, if you don't have an easy pass, do you do they do a paper ticket or they do? Uh, the reason that I warned you specifically to have an easy pass is that it used to be that cash and easy pass were the same price, mm-hmm. but in an effort to get more people to adopt easy pass, it's now twenty percent cheaper to use it, or cash is twenty percent more. Yeah, expensive. Say, cash is probably more expensive. Right, and I think a lot of people who you know don't want to. Uh, to have to forget about putting the money in every time they do it, or people who don't like to be tracked mm-hmm. are not okay with it, but the state is going that way. I've told you also that Pennsylvania Turnpike, I think, is the most expensive highway if you go the whole way in the it's the most expensive toll road pretty much in the US. It's hmm. something like $20 to go all the way across the state on it, wow. which is very expensive. Yeah. I mean, the ride here that you probably took was at least 10 bucks you know yeah i have no idea it could have been a million dollars right well back but the uh, the reason that the that i-70 actually ends i think is that pennsylvania turnpike is one of the first interstates in the country and Mm -hmm. uh i don't think they knew what they were doing when they were building these places uh so these are old highways that they thought oh if it ends in a town who cares and uh i think modern traffic has proven that to be a bad idea right I think they should just demolish the town. Right. The other thing about the turnpike is the phenomenal billboards that I encountered oh, yes. along the way. So I don't remember them exactly, and I could probably look it up right now. But the first one I remember seeing was 
a picture of Yoko Ono, and it said something to the effect of, would you trust the woman who broke up the Beatles with your energy policy or something like that? <laughs> and it, it is like an anti-green coalition. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, what is anti-green, like, would they call themselves uh, like the Reds? Celebrities, well, no, because that's too communist. <laughs> oh, it's right. uh, I would call them the Greys, maybe. The Greys. Um, it's essentially, uh, you know, right-wing folk who who think that people on the left who have spoken about climate change or in favor of responsible energy, that they don't have the science to back themselves up, the, the people on the right, so therefore they can just attack the weirdness of the people on the left. So yeah. Lady Gaga gets a similar post. That's there. right, Lady yeah. Gaga one. And, you know, if you're the sort of person who is like, I don't like the way that woman looks, then you're probably inclined to believe the billboard. And then you told me about one that's a, a clown? What yeah, is this is another great mixed message. It's a an image of a clown, and there's no paid for buy or anything like that. But what there is, is a message next to the clown that just says, I still believe in climate change. So the implication is that you are a clown because you still believe in climate change. Or, but, or the implication <laughs> is something like, hey, I'm a fun-loving guy and I believe in climate change. So there's definitely... A, and, and another one that has a kind of ambiguous message is a a billboard that has wind turbines on it, you know, windmills, mm-hmm. that says... These these are subsidized by your tax dollars, that, yeah, which that for me is great because that's why we pay taxes is to subsidize these things. But if you hate paying taxes, I can imagine that this makes your blood boil every time you drive by. It's it's really weird. Right. I, I come from a you know traditionally conservative state of Georgia, and mm-hmm. you don't see pe- that, do you? No, not like this. No. It, well, there's a what they call a culture war going on in Pennsylvania. Ah, yes. uh, it's been called. It's brown. Yeah, it has right. been called uh, two very liberal cities, Pittsburgh and Philly, with Alabama in the middle. And uh, <laughs> when you drive the Pennsylvania Turnpike, yeah. you see the Alabama. So yeah, that's. I mean, the, the stop that I got off on was definitely a little backwater. Yep, you see um, vigorously pro coal board billboards. I mean, all of Appalachia is that way. Sure. Uh, and you know, energy is contentious here because of the the fracking. And also because uh, we have wind power, we have all the different options in the state, and uh, no one is happy with what we've got. So, But this isn't a climate change podcast. Far from it. It's the Low Score Podcast, episode 113. You, you know, big what? episode. Big episode 113. I've listened to enough of these. Yeah. I should know this. <laughs> Bobby, you're over there. <laughs> yeah, that's good enough. Kevin, you are over there. Uh but we are both in the same room. Yes, we are. So I came to visit Pennsylvania as part of a long, a big road trip that I took. And big episode road trip. Big road trip across the country. And stops included the NASCAR Hall of Fame in Charlotte, which I will get to in a moment. Mm-hmm. I visited Richmond to see our friends of the show, good friends of the show, show Jay and Jimmy. Yep. Um, and didn't get a chance to podcast there. And then ended up uh ended up up here so i did a, a i'm doing a big old circle around the mid-atlantic right and um, you'll be driving through kentuck kentuck tomorrow yes i don't know don't know what i will do in kentucky i'll probably just drive through and maybe stop for gas mm-hmm. um but yeah that puts the end of like my 12 day excursion it's hard to believe that last week at this time what was i doing last week oh we were watching jackie chan a jackie chan movie last week at this time but <laughs> um also want to say uh to our good buddy good friend of the show always been great to us uh kevin we hope you get better and feel better yep um and let's talk about nascar okay so bobby i got to hear a little bit about this uh this museum i've never been to uh, nascar hall of fame 
Um, what brought you there? What did you enjoy? Uh, what was the experience like in general? Okay, so those of you who know me know that in the past couple of years, I've gotten into NASCAR, which is an embarrassing thing to admit, but I now just say it confidently. Uh, I could sit down and explain to you why I like the sport, but let's just let's just go with the fact that I like it. So I was driving to gun drive from Atlanta to Richmond, and I popped up one of those like what what sightseeing things to do on the way because I was like I don't have anywhere to be at any specific time. I'm not just racing to Richmond, so maybe I can stop somewhere. And I was scrolling through a map, and stuff in uh, Charlotte popped up, and I've been through Charlotte many times. And Charlotte is like a home, a major home of NASCAR. Um, Dale Earnhardt was born in Kannapolis, so you know that that whole region. Um, there's like a, a bunch of cities north of Charlotte that are, you know, populated by Earnhardt fans. Uh, there's the Charlotte Motor Speedway, and of course NASCAR has its headquarters there, and then a lot of racing teams are headquartered there as well. And it's a it's a big financial hub, so I think it's visible right. uh, as a kind of you know. And so in their downtown, they have a NASCAR. Ooh, excuse me, NASCAR Hall of Fame. That's for you, Kevin. I really like that when I burp. Um, so the NASCAR Hall of Fame, it seemed relatively new. And I kind of expected like it to be a, I don't want to say dingy place, but mm-hmm. like a big you know warehouse room or something with... Memorabilia. Memorabilia, cars, you know, plaques, things like that. The NASCAR Hall of Fame is actually quite involved. So uh, go in, and the first thing I do is I get to watch a movie on like a big... It's not IMAX, but... You know, like a, a, a huge wide screen that kind of wraps around. That curves. So, yeah, it curves. It's so it has like sign, three yeah. projections on it. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, getting you psyched for the history of, the, of NASCAR and, you know, the names that you know and the people that you love and the excitement that you felt. And then it opens up. The, the main lobby floor uh, had a women in NASCAR um, exhibition going on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like front and center trying to say like okay we're trying to change the face of nascar a little bit um and then it's uh that that room around the side as it has a long walkway that ascends to the second floor and along that walkway is like a, a race track and on that race track is a bunch of cars so you can see how the cars evolve over the years etc cetera, etc cetera. and then you get into the the second floor and that's where the interactive exhibits begin mm-hmm. So I was actually quite impressed. You get a little, you know, RFID card when you come in. You can add your little profile to it, and then you sit down at the kiosk, you tap your card, and you participate in some activity. And people, you know, you get points throughout the day as you, as you do these things. And there's a lot to do. I imagine if you're a kid, you could spend all day there, you know, having fun. Next if you're a kid, or or even if you're not a kid, can you get something as a result of your day to get a I, printout or I something? I don't uh, think so. I okay. at least I did not see a place to, and no one offered it to me. Okay, um, but there might be, but. You know, so they have all these interactive exhibits like, oh, here's how to balance your tires. Let's play like a tire balancing mini game. Mm-hmm. There's another game where you're watching a pit stop and you have to act as a referee. So you, as you watch the pit stop, you tap the screen in places where you see things that you think might have gone wrong. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this person lost control of the tire or this person uh, got out in front of the car too quickly. So there's a bunch of different kiosks like that, which are fun to look at. But the best thing about the, the exhibit beyond... Um, just the the love of the sport. No, the best thing about the exhibit was that they have a iRacing.com simulator area. So iRacing.com, if you're unfamiliar with it, is probably the most accurate racing simulator used for all kinds of driving. It is a web subscription for a game that you download. And it a lot of people use it for racing like 
you know, Formula One style cars or open wheel racing cars, but they have a, t- a ton of stuff in it. And so what NASCAR did is they have the Charlotte Motor Speedway track in the game and each person uh, registers, you get to choose which car of like the eight cars they have. So they have, you know, full size cars sitting in the simulator area. You climb inside the car and you can sit on the left or the right. And then there's just a TV in front of you and a big, uh, you know, steering wheel and they teach you how to drive relatively quickly. It is since it's supposed to be a simulation, it's not like, Oh, I've played Forza. I can just jump into this. Right. You actually, they have to teach you like, okay, you need to start in second gear. You, you know, need to start off real slowly or else you can spin the tires and then, you know, spin off the track. And then it's a a big eight player multiplayer simultaneous race. (laughs) And the sensation that I felt when I was racing what I thought to be well, like what I, you know, I wasn't crashing and I was kind of holding my line. They do do the little driving line that video games have. Right. So, you know, braking and all that kind of stuff just for people to know. Cause I was on the, there's a bunch of kids and a handful of adults too. And as you're driving and you're driving faster and faster and you're thinking to yourself, I'm just barely holding on. Like, uh, is that I, the sensation drivers feel all the time? I, I would know? imagine. Right. Like, you know, if a new driver or anybody like, you get in that car, you're like this thing could just go wrong in in a second, in mm-hmm. half a second, because I you know lit up on the gas or too late, or I I braked too hard or anything like that, and so you know you, you get up there and you're like kind of up what feels like up on the wall, coming back down into a turn, and I it was just amazing. I wanted to do it a bunch of times, mm-hmm. like five dollars a ride. I got a free ride uh, with my pass, uh, but it was totally fun. I won, came first Excellent. place. I did not have the fastest lap time, but I had the fastest. Did you uh, tell everyone else you encountered that day? Hey, do you know that I won yeah, today? I won. Uh, d- d- right. I, I, hey, hey, I know. I, you see, you looking at me. Right. Yeah, I, I won. I know. By, by me dessert, I won. Yeah. You know, it's a um, courtesy you could pay. But it was fun. It, I went by myself. I spent uh, you know, a few hours, two, two to three hours right. there, and uh, I'm glad I did it. It's, well, hopefully, it's a museum too that. We'll change enough that if you're in that area in five years or whatever, you go back. Yeah. Maybe a little bit different experience. Yeah, I walked through the whole thing, and there's, I mean, there are tons of, um, there's not t- tons of memorabilia, tons of history, just stuff that I even kind of glanced over. Lots of plaques, you know, the history of this person, that person, the founders of NASCAR, the founders of the sport, and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, you could spend if you were like a real racing fan. You could spend all day there just reading everything that's that's in the the Hall right. of Fame. It was fun, so. Excellent. That is a uh, that's NASCAR. Good Charlotte experience and uh, oh, good Charlotte, good Charlotte. One of my favorite bands. Oh, great band, yeah, great band. Um, what else? I, uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's it. So now now I'm in Pittsburgh finally, mm-hmm. and you and I are here. But you uh, you played some games when you were in Richmond. Is that that right? oh, yes, of course, that's mm-hmm. right. So uh, Jimmy and I went over to our friend uh, Stack's house. You might re- remember him from the. Uh, mass uh, magfest mascar mascar uh, yeah the magfest episode that we did last winter and we played a bunch of super mario uh, no mario super strikers which is the it was a gamecube soccer mario game and they made a wii version i don't remember what the subtitle is unleashed or revisited yes unfun there's a it's not redux but it's something so we we played that that game is awesome i actually this weekend went out and bought that game and and searched Mm -hmm. for it so you know action cartoony soccer game we were getting kind of into the spirit of the world cup in our own our own tiny way right um i 
I forget that how much I enjoy those Mario sports games generally. Like I love Mario Golf. Uh, I've enjoyed like Mario Power Tennis in the past. They they simplify the core mechanic well, and it's pleasing to watch Mario and Co do what they do. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think. I mean, this one sounds like it has a little bit more depth than some of the other ones, but or yeah. or is it just so kinetic? And- well, it's it's it is it's in part because it's kinetic, in part because you know on the the different uh, arenas that they have, there are interactive things. So some of them like shit will fall from the sky and knock you. There's one that like takes place on like a tall floating island thing, so you could like actually fall off the side of it. Okay, um, but also it is it is difficult enough, and then the way they've balanced the characters for speed and shooting and their special abilities that you actually have to think about what your team is before you're going in against another team. Okay. So like, you know, if you're a bunch of little guys going up against a donkey Kong, you're going to get your ass kicked. Okay. Like no matter how, I mean, you could be insanely good, but they're just too powerful. They, they'll just knock you over and you won't even get a chance to shoot. So mm-hmm. well, surprising amount of depth for what we played. Okay. And then we played a bunch of Monaco, which is that heist multiplayer heist game. Uh, and I, I still don't know if I understand what was going on in that game because <laughs> Adam is really good at it and has finished it before. Jimmy had beat the entire like first uh, segment of the game, so there's like a, a couple of different levels of it. Mm-hmm. And I had never touched it before. And so right. it was me kind of like little brother playing along. It's like you're being tolerated in the right. game. Yeah. It's like, well, just don't die and it'll be fine. Just don't die and get to the end. Right. Um, I don't know. It seems, it seems like a neat game. I could imagine if you understood what was going on, it'd be a lot more fun. Well, it seems to have done relatively well. I hear people talk about it with some frequency, and you know, it seems to be a Steam front page thing quite a lot. Yeah. But so, uh, uh, since I have you, let's talk about some of the things that that you've been playing. Okay. Past. Well, I've not chimed in on this podcast in quite a while, uh, but I'll talk about some relatively recent things I've been doing. Um, as people probably know, I I tend to play games kind of single player and usually at night, and so. A lot of my choices are things that I play while the TV's on. Um, I you know, have a decent amount of time to play games throughout the week, but not as much depth time as I would like. Frequently don't get to play for more than an hour or two at a time. But uh, the thing I've been playing recently that's relatively topical that I've had quite good fun with is uh, the expansion to Shadowrun Returns, which is called Dragonfall. Um, for those who do not know, Shadowrun Returns was a kickstarted game. It's based on the Shadowrun RPG world. Uh, and rule set that um, came out uh, last year. Uh, I did not kickstart it, but I did buy it soon after it was released. And it is a a game that has uh, modules, essentially. It comes kind of like Neverwinter Nights for the PC. Mm-hmm. It came with a main adventure, which was about a 12-hour campaign, professionally written with a lot of unique ac- assets. And then the selling point of the game also is that it comes with a module designer and that there's community content that's on Steam. So um, to tie me over before the next official release, I could play a few things. And there's some ambitious fans who are trying to recreate the Shadowrun games for SNES and the Shadowrun game for Genesis, huh. uh, you know, with a different tiles, different sort of rule set, a slightly different world. But those were well-regarded games of 16-bit era. That's um, always interesting to me when it comes to a game like that that relies heavily on fans to produce like single player content that is right. just like you, p- other people are making campaigns. It's not just making levels, like mm-hmm. you're making significant things. So how does Steam, what does steam do to surface the best of that stuff? How well, do you find out like, which are the ones you want, you would want to play? It's not ideal. There's uh, you know, in the community hub for Shadowrun, there is content available that you can add to Shadowrun returns and it's relatively painless 
but and things get ranked and rated. So deciding whether or not to start something means reading comments, checking how many bugs and problems have been fixed because okay. a lot of the things get released in progress. So oftentimes you'll get a partially finished adventure that some people will say, hey, I played for an hour, it was great, or hey, I played two hours, you need to check your spelling. And so you <laughs> kind of worry a little bit. Sure. Um, I won't talk about any of those necessarily, but Dragonfall is a is created by Harebrained Schemes, which is the people who made the game. Um, games. games. It's actually, I think, longer technically than the main game was. It's set in Berlin and in the Shadowrun universe, Berlin and Seattle, which Seattle's where the first game is set, are two of the kind of big cities that things happen in. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's a really a really kind of intricate game. It works really well with um, a variety of different classes. It's built around a kind of hub world, uh, sort of a neighborhood in Berlin that becomes you know where you go shopping and you check in with residents of that area in between quests. But there are quests that happen throughout the game, and there's a kind of main storyline that's all about kind of figuring out what happened to the former team leader of this group that you're part of. And it ties in pretty nicely to a larger Shadowrun mythology. A lot of that remains kind of subplot and subtext. Mm. I'm right at the end of the game, and uh, I don't actually quite know how it's going to pan out. So there's some sort of suspense there for me. Um, there have been a couple of red herring plot points so far, which is pretty nice. So it's a game that I think benefits from having professionals create the content. A team, yeah. you know, as much as the labor of love of one person making it is nice, you know, it's it's really kind of well written, well designed game so far. I'm not the best. Uh, sh- I'm not the best Shadowrun player. I don't quite understand all the rules perfectly well. Um, but I've been fine. I haven't been dying too much. Did they so. did they change the mechanics at all for this? Yes, yeah, some are. Well, uh, some are, there are new mechanics. Some are fixed. There are a couple of classes and things. Uh, I think specifically riggers who are as a class of people who use um, turrets and drones and machines to do their fighting oh, for like them. R I G G, not R I G O R S. Yes, yes. They believe in doing things by the book and no, no, no. Like, hey, check out my sweet rig, bro. Like that kind of rigor. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. You know that kind of that rigor. phrase you hear all the time. Yes. Um, some of their stuff was apparently messed up. Also, one of the more complicated classes are called Deckers, and they are essentially hackers. There's a whole kind of other world in the game where you hack into a computer system, and then you control your Deckers avatar as they get through security threats, still in a kind of isometric perspective, also turn-based. But it creates some really fascinating battles where you'll have one person in another space as your other group of people, and they'll probably be protecting that person until they can, you know, disable security system and then you can move around. So it's very tactical in some ways. My suspicion, because I haven't played Shadowrun tabletop in years, is that a lot of the mechanics are simplified for the game. Mm -hmm. And the game itself was developed for um, Android and iOS simultaneous to the PC release. So it's touchscreen playable, which means that some of the very specific nuanced movements are reducible to things that your fingers can do. Okay. It's, but it's it's sense. cool because it increases the user base. Um, I would I would recommend it. I mean, if people are fans like I am of Baldur's Gate and games like that, it's the Shadow Run world, Shadow Run world, which is endlessly fascinating kind of cyberpunk world. That um, lately, I feel like there hasn't been a lot of cyberpunk media, and it's something that, especially growing up, was really fascinating to me. So, also a, a successfully kickstarted project that. Um, you know, came out and more or less was exactly what you thought it would be, which doesn't always happen. Yeah, I you recommended Shadowrun 
returns one of the last times that we chatted mm-hmm. extensively. So I bought it and installed it on my computer, and it's just sitting there, just sitting there I waiting for I haven't me. opened it. I haven't opened it. Yeah. You need uh, about an hour to get going on the story. Um, when you do decide if you like it or not, you know. Mm. It's a, sometimes it's a slow-going game, but uh, you know, w- with adventures being less than 15 hours, I think that's kind of nice in a world where everything else takes a long time. Yeah. So do you want to talk about a game you've been playing, Alternate? Well, or? No, uh, we will alternate as soon as we do this. So okay. I wanted to, to piggyback on the kickstarting phenomenon. Okay. You played another very extraordinarily recent game that was yes. just kick, or had been kickstarted. Yes, a game that I think uh, many listeners will know. Many many might actually have, and others will have heard of. Um, Shovel Knight just came out. Shovel Shovel Knight, Knight. Uh, Yacht Club Games. People who had been associated with Way Forward, who kind of formed their own studio, um, and it's a game that was on Kickstarter uh, with very promising screenshots and a little bit of alpha gameplay footage. Um, that uh, was by people who had done things. I think Wizorb is a game that some of these people had worked on. Okay, if you know that game. Yep. Um, but people who I think take seriously innovative riffs on retro aesthetics, mm-hmm. um, and it's a game that was supposed to come out on Friday the twenty seventh, but Kickstarter backers got it a couple hours early, so it came out that Thursday night. So when Bobby showed up, I had been playing Shovel Knight for a few hours. Um, it is a the best way to describe the game is a kind of a hybrid of other games, but the nicest thing I could say about it is that it actually feels like its own game once all the parts are put together. Mm-hmm. So it is a side-scrolling 2D game whose levels seem to be influenced by Mega Man and whose structure is somewhat influenced by Mega Man. There are, to my knowledge, eight bosses plus probably a big boss that exist in this world and that you can tackle. There is some order to them, but maybe later in the game as I play it, I might have more options as to how I tackle this bosses. Okay. The uh, world map looks like Super Mario Brothers 3. Um, various locations you can visit and revisit. Um, the levels, you know, kind of all have a different theme to them also. Uh, you know, I've played a kind of spooky level, Spectre Knight. Ooh, spooky. He's played a regal level, King Knight. So there's lots of options there. Um, the core mechanic of the game is... Instead of having a sword, you have a shovel, which means that you both hit enemies with a shovel and you dig things out with the shovel. And the sort of most useful attack of the game is borrowed somewhat from the DuckTales games, which is the down thrust or the pogo stick yeah, bounce. Pogo bounce. Um, the game also feels a lot like Zelda Two: Adventures of Link, which happens to be a game that I like quite a bit, even though it's not very well regarded. But it's much more balanced than that and actually much more balanced than a lot of the Mega Man games, too, hmm. from what I've played so far. There's... Um, Adventure slash RPG progression so far. You purchase items, you uh, upgrade your abilities, and you know you have some choice over the order that you do that. A lot of the game is finding secrets, accumulating money. Um, you get punished by uh, when you die, you drop money, and if you die twice, you sometimes lose money. So the incentive, you don't have lives necessarily, but you... Yeah, make good and bad choices vis-a-vis the money you've earned. So it, when you drop your money the first time you die, do you have to go back and get it? Do you do a corpse run to get that money? Or? Yeah, so what happens is you die and then you drop uh, three bags of gold. And if you die again before you reach or get those bags of gold, okay. you've lost the first wave of bags of gold. Gotcha. So there is an incentive to not die a lot, but it's also forgiving because a lot of the mechanics are such that you need precision jumps. 
And I'm playing a PC version, which means that I probably should um, be using a controller, but so far I've just been using a keyboard. Um, but it's great so far. I mean, um, plays incredibly well. It handles better than any of the games I've mentioned, um, which I think would be the hardest part for a game like mm-hmm. this. It has 8-bit and some 16-bit aesthetics, aesthetics, but also cheats in some ways to um, get around software yeah. and hardware limitations. So, so many of them do. In ways that never feel like they're sort of selling out the core look, but at the same time are creating new affordances. So, yeah, we, you know. I looked at it and I thought, this this looks like a thing that could have been like a late era NES mm-hmm. game, knowing full well that it would not actually be possible. Right. But it does a better job of disguising it than other games where clearly there are th- some things that just look much too good mm-hmm. and mixed with sprites that look like they're trying to be, you know, uh, NES or Genesis. Style. Right. Or master system style. So I think in general, it's uh, it's been a great investment. Um, it uh, has music by Vert, uh, Jason Kaufman, or Jake Kaufman rather, uh, somebody who you know people listening to game music know pretty well, and he's sort of proven himself to excel at retro inspired soundtracks in the last yeah. couple of years. Um, I but again, I've only played a couple hours of the game so far, but I can definitely recommend it as uh, a worthwhile purchase. Um, the team did a great job with it. It also seems to be a kind of nice length game. I've read reports so far of being able to complete it in about 10 hours, which I appreciate. Um, but d- definitely check it out if you didn't kickstart it. And uh, Vert is also selling the soundtracks on his Bandcamp page. So even if you don't want the game, you can throw him a few bucks and get those soundtracks. Cool. Uh, one of which one is a soundtrack, one's an arrangement album. But both sound pretty fantastic so far. Well, speaking of shovels, mm-hmm. one of the games that on my trip I've gotten back into is SteamWorld Dig. And what's that again? The, I'm playing it on 3DS, and it is a game where you are a robot who shows up in a mining town, and then they tell you to go digging. Mm-hmm. And so you're digging underground, um, kind of reminds me of like Crystal Mines style digging, where as you dig, you need to ensure that you are not digging pits that are straight down so you can actually get back to the top and you know you can't dig under a boulder or it will like fall on top of you um and as you're digging you're looking for a couple of things you're looking for gemstones mm-hmm. so you're looting always, always a good thing yeah. to dig for so you yeah you're looting um and then you use that money to buy upgrades that you're earning throughout the game so faster drilling faster pickaxe uh, you know higher jump you have a uh, limited amount of time that you can be under underground is indicated by like what it's called like your fire like you you may have like a lantern with you effectively and that runs down you can upgrade your lantern you have a, your steam powered so you use water to power whatever you're doing that's not just your pickaxe so you know you're constantly looking for water and um, as you're digging down into the mines you're basically finding new levels to enter. And in those levels is usually where like a power up or upgrade for your your suit would be. So you start okay. with a pickaxe and then you get the power drill and you get a rocket punch and you get a double jump and a wall climb and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just one of those easy to play kind of compulsive games where the upgrade path feels good enough to make the the digging satisfying. Right, and it's fun. It, like you're just trying to go like further and further down and, and go to different. Sounds worlds. a bit like the Minecraft inspired game Terraria, but yeah. without a really complicated crafting system. Is that kind right. of what yeah. it feels like? There's, there's no crafting. There are very limited enemies. Like the enemies are mostly there for you to try like as a, 
obstacles for you. So like you're not out there like trying to like take down enemies or anything. You're just trying to dig as far down as you can and um, get all get all the the money that you possibly can. So what's an average play session? Is it something you just pick up for a few minutes or you spend more time on yeah, it? Yeah, like I'll I'll play it for 15 minutes or so at a time and you know that's usually enough. So as you go down, you get a little teleporter that you can set. You, you buy a teleporter that you can set down so that you can warp back to the town and sell everything. So it's constantly struggling like, okay, how far do I'm going to go? You know, my health is really low. If I get to like another room, maybe there's a health pickup in there, but most likely I'll die and lose half of my money. Um, and you don't, there's no way it's to get the that conundrum back. we've been yep. experiencing since Diablo of. How far can we go yeah. before we work back and sell our loot? Entirely. Yeah. It, 100% like that That pattern. Uh, it's it's fun and mindless. And I had been playing it a, a while ago and just picked right back up in it. And um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know how long the game is. I think I'm probably almost two-thirds of the way done. I think there are three major areas. And I'm, I'm about done with this. Is there an ex, any sort of explicit replay, re, yeah, replay thing, or is it a? Uh, I have no idea. More or less same thing. Okay. I, yeah, I, they, the the entirety of the game is basically the same, except that digging gets more difficult because there are new obstacles in the way, like lasers, for example. Yeah, it I, tends I, tends to be that when I go deep underground, lasers are the first right? thing I see. Well, that's like you're digging, and you're like, oh, I'm in this old western town, <laughs> and you get to the point where like you're in a futuristic area. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is this? Does the game have a sort of steampunk aesthetic, or does that a surprise for later? I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a steampunk aesthetic, but it is a world entirely populated by robot people. So it, it, it's robot cowboys. Robot cowboys. Yeah, okay. robot cowboys, but they're they're powered by steam, but I would not call it steampunk. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's a bunch of fun. Excellent. All right, one thing that I, I'd want to backtrack a few steps and say is that a major improvement that Shadow Run Returns has seen around the time of the release of the expansion is that you previously could only save your game in between missions. So you had to commit to a long play session, but they have added, thank God, the ability to save during missions, not during combat. But that means that if I can, if I only have 20 minutes, I can make some headway and then stop. Yeah. It's something that I feel increasingly makes a game playable for me is the ability to put it down and resume with relative ease. Also on the mobile platform, I've been playing uh, more Final Fantasy X, which I talked about last... No, not last podcast, I don't think. The previous podcast? Last podcast was the E3 podcast. Mm-hmm. If uh, And so thank you for the many of you who texted me, emailed me, and other things, asking what in the world you were listening to. <laughs> and you didn't think E3 had happened yet. You were correct. Uh, we, we made it up. And a special bonus for those of you who got the pre-edited version where I left in one of the times when we fucked up and had to like, we, we screwed up. I told Jay, I was like, Jay, you just said something that I like, couldn't have happened yet because it's, you know, the future He's like, Oh shit, that's right. <laughs> and then we said we were going to edit it out. And then I forgot to, was, <laughs> there were like three of those. and I forgot one of them. <laughs> and there's, so uh peek behind the curtain. When we screw something up, usually we'll either leave like a big, you know, silence so I can see it in the waveform or we'll clap a couple of times. Uh, so if you have that original okay. podcast, you'll see, you'll hear us start like clapping. At her, <laughs> that's what we're doing. That's like, cut this. I mentioned to Bobby that I was listening to it while I played a game and was totally buying it. I, I thought in the back of my head, I, I didn't realize E3 had already happened. 
And by the end, I finally, as the thing was about winding down, I figured out, ah, this is one of their jibes. This is one of their jokey. Indeed. Yeah. So there's future preemptive moments. There is no E3 recap podcast this year. Unfortunately, we didn't get to do that. So we saved you our opinions on things that had at that point been like almost two weeks old. So you got lucky, but I've been playing Final Fantasy 10 HD on the Vita. It's going slowly. It hasn't, parts of it haven't aged particularly well. And I realized the thing about it that I think is what makes it so hard to go back to. It's not the combat system, which is old in its own ways, but also is extraordinarily modern because, you know, for a final fantasy game there had been no like you couldn't swap characters in and out previously like on the fly so that that's kind of cool um you know it still has the enemies on the screen so there are random battles which is a little slow in places but you get used to it but the thing that i realize makes it seem really old is at the time that the game came out it was clear that square was really interested in a cinematic portrayal of something yes but they didn't know how to do dialogue yet. So it's not just that the voice acting is bad and the writing is bad, but it's that they're trying to use old ways of animating like uh, like characters being expressive like they would have done in, you know, uh, any previous Final Fantasy where, you know, if you want someone to be mad, like Barrett has to like stomp his foot on the ground. The and, like, silent movie yeah, aesthetics. Yeah. E- exactly. And so now you're getting some of that with these like slow sweeping camera views. They don't know how to cut from shot to shot. Like they're, they're trying to be cinematic, but they haven't learned the language of, of film cinema. As it it to might do be it. how the way in which the meet, uh, games media and kind of fans too praise the sort of show stopping visual FMV moments from the PlayStation one final yeah. fantasies. And then when they're trying to make that more cinematic, right thinking that they can do the same type of thing while adding talking. Right. But without making it cut the way a narrative film cuts together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that's, and that's, that's awkward. That's just awkward. It is. And <laughs> they've, they've gotten so much better at it. I mean, the dialogue of a final fantasy 12 or 13, the dialogue itself is not better, but at least it's cut quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, characters are standing on screen in the way that you would expect them to. Like we're so used to care using, you know, over the shoulder shots in video games when characters are in dialogue now, as opposed to these like strange sweeping camera angles that puts all of the characters standing in like a semicircle as if they're on stage. Right. Or their bodies are all sort of weirdly splayed to the screen. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, It's just, it's kind of awkward for those reasons. Well, I mean, square it's, it's fun to watch Square's growing pains, but it's also nice to see that maybe they learned some lessons from some of the things mm-hmm. they had done in the past. Even if, you know, not everything they learned is a good lesson. Yeah. You know. I I mentioned earlier to Bobby before this podcast that I couldn't play FF ten. I just it was too slow. <laughs> just, I couldn't it, stick with it. It's really slow. And I'm playing yeah. it on a handheld and I'm trying to pay attention and yeah. some places I'm skipping through the dialogue and you know it the story is not I don't know how to say this. I'm not missing much by skipping parts of the story, but then all of a sudden I'm starting to wonder like what is even my motivation for doing any of this? Like right. if I don't even have like a broad sense of what is going on or why, how these characters relate to each other, mm-hmm. you know, I should at least 
I should at least get some of that. But, you know, they certainly don't do the thing where, you know, they highlight the important words in a bright color so that as you're, like, jamming through the dialogue, you uh, you don't miss it. But, a few more things I've been playing. and Yeah. Most of these are oldies but goodies in some way. Oldies but goodies. Oldies but goodies. Oldies but goodies. Uh, first two replay games, I, for some reason, started to play Sui Koden again. And, yeah, uh, why did that happen? I don't know what prompted me to do so. I must have heard someone mention the game when I was out walking around or at school or something. Someone shouted you from the park. So I got it! <laughs> I would have loved that, actually. Uh, no, but so I picked it up, um, put about eight or nine hours into it, right, got good. to the point where you get your castle, you have started to recruit people, you see that your former allegiance to the Empire is pretty bad. Yeah. And then I actually had to leave town for a bit and haven't picked the game back up in a while. What did you name your castle? Do you remember? Ooh, I don't. What, what I, I will tell my general strategy. Uh, my general strategy for naming things is I'll be sitting in a love seat and I'm in clear view of all my bookshelves. Mm-hmm. And I will look at my bookshelves and look for an author's first name or last name or a word on a book spine. And I will <laughs> use that. So it is something that is visible from where I sit when I face my TV. Um, which doesn't narrow it down totally, but that's... <laughs> I've been in your room. That doesn't narrow it down. does not narrow it down totally, but uh, I don't know. It, what usually ends up happening is that by the end of a game, if I've named every character, it tends to be authors whose books I just am looking at, and it creates a kind of weird story in my head. Can you, Do you get to name characters in Suicoden? Or, I don't or think... Rename characters? Okay. I don't think you do. Because that would be... Yeah, like, it would be very confusing. Yeah. There's I, there's I too many Sui characters Koden. who kind of look like and remind me of one another anyway. Right. Um, but I, I generally like the Sui Coden games. Hope to pick that back up at some point. I have started to play Skyrim again. Uh, decided to do a magic user type character this time. That's always a good choice. Always a good choice. Uh, I had seen a lot of that world when I played through the game the first time, but I'm doing things in a different order, making some different choices. Um, see uh, what kind of guilds and things I go with if I align myself with the Empire versus the uh, the Nords. Um, but that's honestly something I I can pick up for about an hour. Uh, essentially, it's me trying to try out new skills and um, see just see different things. But it's a game, too, that since I've seen a lot of it, I may get bored with it halfway through. Yeah. Um, and then finally, just the last one. Is, yeah, it's time for an intervention. Okay, so I, I play a lot of Magic the Gathering on PC. I don't play... Listen, knock, uh, the great choice. Right. Good games. I do not play Magic Online, which is what I understand very serious Magic players play. I, uh, have, I'm on the record as being a big fan of the uh, 1994 micro Microprose game. Heck yeah. Uh, fantastic. It's a great game. Put a lot of hours into that. I played about 150 hours of Magic 2014. That's so many hours. I unlocked pretty much everything. That's uh, so many hours. That's more than I put into Persona I, or Skyrim. Or I know. I, I just play it, uh, you know, last couple of minutes before I go to bed. But I do that a lot. And then I decided, well, Magic 2015 is coming out, so I'll go back and play Magic 2013. And in a lot of ways, not as good of a game as Magic 2014. Mm-hmm. A lot of the decks are similar. Uh it's similar insofar as you unlock certain cards as you go, and there's a, a little bit of customization. Um, but I like 2013 because it has a different mode that 2014 doesn't have, uh, which is called Plane Chase. And it's a multiplayer thing that enables you to um, 
basically play a four four player free for all game, but with uh, a sort of deck of cards in the middle that mm-hmm. represent different planes. And you sort of randomly draw one. One of those gets randomly drawn, and there is a rule that affects everybody, all of the four players. And what's nice about it is that it randomizes elements of the game. It levels the playing field sometimes. Sometimes it makes things harder. Sometimes it makes them easier. Um, There are things that, for example, remove all cards from play and reshuffle everything into decks. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly what you'd worked so hard to achieve is totally gone. Or there are things that affect certain creatures in certain ways or cards that take things from your graveyard and put them back into your hand. So I've played games that have lasted up to two hours just that way. Um, Also, sometimes they go quickly because the AI will choose to gang up on different people or, you know, and you can also do this multiplayer uh, with live humans, but uh, it's given a little bit new depth to the mechanics and it's a kind of fun thing to, uh, you know, test your chops against, I guess. So when does 2015 come out? It comes out in July. Um, Some things to look forward to include the fact that suddenly you have a lot more choice in building your deck as you go. Um, the game is still broken into planes, but you choose colors when you start. And as you go through the plane fighting some sort of bigger battles and some smaller ones, you unlock small booster packs. Mm-hmm. And as you go, you can start customizing your deck. Uh, theoretically, even to the point where you can totally change colors and do totally different things with the pool of cards you have. And that's that's what made the older magic magic game so fun yeah this uh, this sounds really appealing to me because i i have magic how many of the magic games have they had so far was it 2012 13 and 14 yeah there's two before that also oh there is magic duels of the planeswalkers then uh i think 2012 2013 i'm i have there's several of them okay i have just whatever the first one that came out on xbox 360 is right so you know, I haven't. I've not looked at one since then. And They've gotten a lot better since. Um, twenty fourteen had a a limited sealed deck mode, which meant that you uh, are given a certain amount of cards, you build a deck, and then you can go through a progression of battles. But the problem with it is that there weren't enough battles to go through, so you didn't get to do a lot with your cards. It sounds like they've taken the best elements of that and the best elements of the campaign that also has a kind of nominal story to it, and combine those two. So uh, I will hopefully in the next couple months get to talk to you all about it because i will certainly spend a lot of time on it that's awesome good for you yep. you should stop playing that you should play other video games. i really should i should actually <laughs> do productive things with my life no don't do productive things just do other unproductive things right well uh we'll see after these steam sales what i end up with but yeah i have a handful of things i've picked up on this uh, summer steam sale right now so usually i thought they did the steam sale around july 4th previously but it seems like... Yeah, it's skewing earlier this year. I can't remember what yeah. day it ends. I can pull it up real quick. I, I picked up a handful of things. One game I forgot to mention that I played and beat, I was inspired by watching the Vinny on Giant Bomb play it, was Castlevania Two. So I sat down with a walkthrough and figured out how to play Castlevania Two, And that game was a lot of fun. It, they What that game really needs, it is like one of the top candidates for a Metroid Zero Mission style remake. Okay. So, Metroid Zero Mission. Some navigation aids, maybe. Yeah, or... like it was the one they made for the Game Boy Advance, and it was based on Metroid for the Nintendo. And not only a graphical update, but an interface update, uh, control updates, and navigation updates. So if they could release Castlevania 2 with just those things, like, you know, more obvious where you need to go, what uh, descriptions of how the items work and where you need to use them and all that kind of stuff, I think I think it would be awesome. Like, it... 
there are so many interesting things going on in Castlevania 2 in terms of a non-linear exploration of these multiple towns and the way that Dracula's body is separated into uh, the manors and there, there aren't bosses at the end of them. So it's really just about like, you know, saving up enough money to get through them, to buy the stake, to stake the the bag or whatever, and then, you know, get the piece of Dracula's heart. Um, I, I was fascinating so when I was young and still am to some extent that that game always felt like it had a, a really big world for an NES game. Yeah. It created a very big set of, I mean, and you know, when you break it down, it's just a set of screens, but it's, you know, if there are different feeling areas, you know, it, you feel like you're traveling relatively great distances. And the whole, the whole world definitely has a vibe to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it playing that game, you get a sense that this is kind of a destitute, sad place for people to live. And they are living under the threat of, you know, evil lurking like just around every corner, and um, the the music helps contribute to that too. But you know, just see the way the townspeople walk around, and now like well, I want to know more about you know that world of Simon Belmont. So I played that, and I've been trying to figure out what to, what big what big console game to play next. So I dabbled in a handful of things. I tried playing some Max Payne three which I know Jay loves and had recommended. It says it was a lot of fun. I was playing it on normal. He told me to bump it down to, to easy just because I, I kept running out of ammo. That was my big thing. And there was a, no good way for me to get enough ammo to redo a section. So bumped it down to easy. And I really like the aesthetic of that game. I like the way it looks. I like the comic book or its use of, kind of the comic book style of, of storytelling and, and multiple things happening at once. Um, it's story seems pretty good. So it's, you know, the washed up Max Payne who had to flee New York and is now in, uh, I believe he's in Rio. Is it directly continuous with two? Yeah, no, it's, it is. Well, it's not immediately after, but it is continuous too. Okay. And, and some stuff that happens in between. So it's like Max at his worst. And then he had to flee the country and, you know, the voice acting is really well done. There's a lot of elements in it, the, the shooting elements that got used in Grand Theft Auto V. So you could see some similarities there where they're like working on these ideas. But it just wasn't capturing me. And so I said, I'll play the other shooter that everyone wants me to recommend, or third-person action game, whatever you want to call it. I'll play The Last of Us on PlayStation 3, the Naughty Dog survival shooting game. And I don't know if it's... I don't know what it was. It's... It, had to do something with the fact that I wanted to play that game as more of a stealth game because it says, like, you can do some stealth stuff. This happened to me in Uncharted as well. It's like, you could do some stealth stuff. I said, great, that's perfect. I was like, I'd been playing Assassin's Creed a bunch. I know I can do stealth. I'll hide behind this wall. I'll like, grab somebody. And those mechanics aren't in place to actually play it like a stealth game. <laughs> so it's more of like a sneaking around to shoot people game. Okay. Um, and I just I was not feeling it at the time. So I stopped that. And then I was looking at my shelf of games I've been sitting there. But for. are these two games you may resume at some point, or are you kind of done with them? Mm, Max Payne, probably not. The Last of Us, yes. Okay. I, I just at some point, I I will get in the right headspace to play that one. And I was looking at my shelf, and I thought, what are these other games I have? I have Deus Ex, uh, Human Revolution. I had Darkness 2, like some other shooter, and I thought, Syndicate, like the the recent Syndicate first person shooter, got game. that sitting upstairs unopened, yep. waiting to play at some point. It 
it, well, if you want, you know, it has its cyberpunk elements, which so, I look forward to. Yeah, you you got that going for you. It's a it's an all right shooter with a real like wavering level of difficulty that's kind of unbalanced in places. So boss fights take a really long time, and other stuff you can just blaze through. It does a good job of introducing enough power ups and combat mechanics quickly to at least make the game seem kind of different. Um, but I, again, wasn't necessarily feeling it, and then I left on vacation. On the so I also have a game that I believe you've played, or I'm pretty sure you've talked about, which is XCOM. Yes. So that is something that I know is uh, an undertaking to kind of get into, but ultimately still a rewarding one, you think? Absolutely. Oh, you need to play XCOM. Uh, maybe my favorite game of 2012. Having played it last year, going back, I think it might be my favorite game of 2012. And as someone who likes Shadowrun Returns a lot, um, it does a great job of modernizing that or making it feel modern, that that turn-based combat. But at its core, it's still very similar to um, to what the old games were. I'm actually, I think, two or three missions away from finishing that game. Okay. But I was playing it last year right up until the point when I had to write a book chapter and do a conference paper and a conference talk, like all in the same, like, you know, month and a half. So it just, I stopped playing it. Right. I need to pick that up again because that game is super. I, a friend of mine who lives in Pittsburgh said he's put about 80 hours into it and that's usually a good sign. Yeah. I'm trying to think yeah. I, I'm certainly in the, uh, 40 to 50 hour range. Um, Man, damn it, I need to play that again. <laughs> Why'd you bring that up? Came to mind. Mm. All right, so I was thinking, we're not going to do an, an E3 recap, but you are someone who is outside of the world of the video game industry. You don't pay much attention to the news. You'll you'll tune in to you know something big or you're, you're kind of have an awareness of it some noise gets right. through to me on occasion but generally you know you divorce yourself from all that you just look and see what kind of games you want to play and you, you play stuff that's usually a little older or you know the small new stuff and so in lieu of a e3 recap i would like to get your take kevin okay on some things from e3 i want to know the kevin take on them well, I'll just uh, give you some home truths. I'll spin them from the gut, if that's okay. Yes. So this is, I, I want like the layman's take on on f- big things that are happening in video games for someone else from someone else. So, okay. Uh, lay it on me. Lay it on you. The first thing I want to ask you about is the Halo Master Chief Collection. Okay. So. I, I can give you like a brief description. Of I would love a brief description of that. Thank you. They are packaging together Halos 1, 2, 3, and 4 um, with like an HD remaster overlay on them. But the games each play the way that they played on their consoles, including the multiplayer. So like that physics is the same. All that combat, the you know, multiplayer stuff is the same. So something like that, like a, a, that kind of remake collection. Where do you, where do you think that fits into the the overall landscape of what video games are now? Well, I can speak uh, from the way that the film industry works, and this is a semi serious answer. I think um, I'll take it. Oftentimes, uh, studios and rights holders will 
keep working on a franchise to keep it relevant and in some cases to keep the copyright. And I don't think Microsoft's necessarily doing that right now. But the idea of basically keeping something old in people's minds and making it slightly better, Mm -hmm. uh, keeping it relevant despite the fact that it may feel irrelevant. Uh, And and at the time-honored tradition of having people buy things they've already bought multiple times. Uh, (laughs) So I think that one of the great themes from E3, as I understand it, is reselling people the same thing they've already bought several times. Pretty pretty long-lasting thing. Right. So Master Chief is probably laughing in his plush chair with his cigar right now, cackling at... His success. Does Master Chief cackle? Should uh, Master chuckling, Chief's... maybe? I can imagine chuckling. Uh, kind of a belly laugh. Chortling. Chortling. Squirtling. Um, screaming? Squeamishly? No, squeamishly no, exclu- exclaiming? I don't think that's, no, no. I don't think okay. that's a thing. Uh, smirking, maybe? He could smirk. Or uh, winking excessively? You wouldn't know because his visor's down. Uh, so so he's probably see. winking constantly in those yeah. games. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it actually changes the way you play them, if you know that. <laughs> All right. There's a new crackdown. Thoughts? Well, uh, as I understand it, Crackdown is a ridiculous game. Okay, that's uh, true. The Crackdown games are ridiculous games, like maybe like State of Emergency meets Crank. I don't know if that's a fair assessment based yes. on these screenshots I've seen. Uh, a new Crackdown game to me means, hey, we have these mechanics that let you do ridiculous things and commit crimes, and here are more crimes and more ridiculous things you can do. More is that, crimes. Is that a pretty fair assessment? I don't think that's accurate. Okay. I'd... Well, he- let's take it. Let's let's break down the word crackdown. Okay. So yeah. there's crack. Oh, we're taking the first word first. Yeah. First half. First. So so there's there's crack. Okay. And it could go two ways. Crack down. Hey, let's make less crack be available. Okay. So it could so be like a the, game about getting crack off the like streets. The drug. But it's also crack down. Like, hey, you want some crack? Yeah, I'm down. So. Crackdown. So it's hey, let's smoke crack. Maybe it's a crack simulator. Yeah, it's like there's like a moral ambiguity as to whether crack right. is good or not. And unlockable characters, Mary and Barry. Crack. Crack down. Down. Um, down. Also, it could have to do with a pillow made of goose feathers that has cracks in it, mm. and so it's a kind of antiquarian uh, art game about grandmother's c- cracked down pillow. Um, I'm thinking. Actually, I'm actually leaning toward that as being the the correct game. I think. I think you. I think you're right. Right. Okay. Um, I would like to ask you about uh, Super Smash Brothers. There's a new one coming out for the Wii, and in it, you'll be able to play as Mies, the the Mies, which is it's something that we we got pretty right in uh, our prediction, not prediction. Our pre-E3, doing the E3 podcast. Yes. Uh, Pac-Man is also going to be in Super Smash Brothers for the Wii. So can you tell me a little bit about uh, what to expect from Pac-Man? Well, uh, I think his his sort of special move will be doing a kind of Pac-Man dance. Um, I imagine either that or spitting out pieces of pizza. Uh-huh. Um, farting ghosts. Might also be a, a special move Wait, of his. He farts ghosts, or there are ghosts. So that having farts. consumed ghosts previously, uh-huh. because Pac-Man eats ghosts in certain states, he will fart them out as a special move. Okay. So when you have like Falcon, yeah, and then you've got like, like a, just like a good old fashioned, just a fart, and it'll look, clear a little space, and in that time, Pac- Pac-Man can extend his his arms and hit just like smack. And I think also that Pac-Man is a playable character. Um, he'll likely make a just kind of incessant like 
you know, pack noise, like the noise from the game Pac-Man, like a waka 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 waka. Yeah. And that the way that Nintendo will mix the sound in those games, it'll drown out all the music and all the other characters' speech, and it'll just be this kind of incessant rhythmic thing. So players will then try to kill Pac-Man. Whoever is Pac-Man will be eliminated first. Um, but, you know, the ghost farting thing, I have that on good authority, and I actually can't wait to be Pac-Man in that game. Mm-hmm. Sony gave us some more details about their PlayStation Now service. It's their streaming service where you can rent a game from them, and then they will just stream it to your console so you don't have to download it. You can play it there. Sort of serious for a sec. On live-esque? Yes. Okay. Yes. On live-esque. On live-esque. Uh, what, what do you think is a good price to pay for a game rental through a streaming service? What's reasonable? Uh, we're talking serious answers. We're talking like one week rental, rental, <laughs> one, uh, one week rental, one uh, week rental. What kind of rental? You know. Okay, let's say um, let's give it a like a per day. Okay, a per day. Pay brand new game two bucks a day. Uh, so like red box prices. Yeah, and uh, older game game that's a couple months out, uh, ninety nine cents a buck fifty a day. Okay. Looks like they're starting around two ninety nine for the rentals, but they didn't say what the rental period was. That may that may end up being a week. So looking back at like a PlayStation two game, for example, or a, play, a PlayStation three game, what's what's a good rental price? Yeah, you can you can go beyond a day if you want. If you want like to say like per ideal week, ideal for me or good for a retailer? Like they'll make money off it. No, let, let's say like good for you. Like what would you be willing to pay to rent a game versus owning a game? Five bucks. Five bucks to rent for oh. for a week. Five bucks to rent for a period in which I could conceivably complete a game. Complete the game. Um, because that way, both, you know, it may even work out to being more than a dollar a day, depending on how long the rentals or how fast you play. Uh, but it also is still less than a game that gets heavily discounted after being out for a few years. Mm-hmm. And. It's a respectable amount of money that I can imagine a rental place still making their money back on the purchase of a, of a game. So I'd actually, and having worked at a video store, I know that you know you get all these things. You want them to be profitable for the store, right? Well, so. yeah, the, I mean, this is not a store. Well, this is a store. This is the store, the only right. store, the PlayStation Now store. For for hopefully getting some money back to the people who made it, five bucks potentially they get fifty cents. I'd feel better about that. Yeah, because it's hard. Is know. there an announced? price like loose prices so like i said the the starting price of 299 um oh, let's see if i had the news story here because it sounds like it's comparable to streaming a movie for a short rental period and i i do that for the convenience mostly and let's see playstation now uh i've lost i don't know where it is what i actually really want to talk to you about is whatever happened to playstation then it's the PlayStation service for games you had heard of but never played never. then. Then. Uh, or, you know. I, I thought it was like PlayStation, like, what's next? Like PlayStation then PlayStation 2? PlayStation Play- then... PlayStation or then. PlayStation then lunch? Yeah, PlayStation then lunch, yeah. PlayStation. Uh, or brunch, depending on what day of the week it is. Where yeah. I lost it. Okay. But PlayStation now, I mean, it sounds like uh, it sounds like the next way. Stream everything. 
you know. There, there is certainly something to be said for that for a lot of people. You know me. I like to own stuff. You, you, you don't have the, the nest. I don't collect or, games. You anymore. don't collect games anymore. No. So, but you know what it's like to want to own. Yes. You know, there, and and there are some games where if there was a certain version, I would buy that yeah. if I cared enough, you know, I think if I were renting games, then the desire to actually play those would kick in because clearly I'm wasting money. If I don't play, if I rent a game for a week and I don't play it, that money's gone. I've wasted it. If I buy a, you know, a ten dollar Xbox three sixty game through Gamefly or something, then even if I don't play it now, there's always that like one percent chance that I'm gonna play it in the future and I don't feel like I wasted that ten dollars. When you you want to buy potentiality. Exactly. Like I want to buy the the chance to play the game. Okay. When I, I want to. That's how I regard movies. So mm-hmm. I have a big movie collection. And my role for years was always if I'm going to be interested in it at some point I will buy it. Because I was buying movies faster than I could watch them. Right. And how fast were you buying movies? But I go and buy like, I t- two two every couple of hours. <laughs> no, but you know I would uh, once a week I'd probably buy ten movies, and you know that's pretty significant. Ten movies uh, for about thirty bucks because yeah. I'm pretty thrifty. But so that's, you know we'll we'll average it about like twenty hours for thirty dollars. So yeah, it's paying a little less than a dollar. It is. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, but for the potentiality of having that movie, wanting to watch it at some point. But then the rule becomes, you know, when you buy a game, you keep it. Or do you sell it if you know you're not going to use it? Oh, no, I will, I'll never sell it. I will okay. I will leave those regrets on my shelf staring at me. Because I will sell a movie if I watch it and say, I never want to see this again. Yeah. I'll never use it again. And I don't know what it is about games that makes me want to hang on to them. It may just be the collector spirit and you know the regrets i had having sold some of my nes games as a child and thinking like at the wrong time for doing that and and for me the price that you pay for a game and what you usually get for selling it it's never worth clearing off that little bit of space for the amount of money that i'm going to make back from it i'd rather just have the thing i'd rather have the case on my shelf and say like okay well having the case on my shelf is worth $8 $8 to me or something like that, even <laughs> if I'm not going to play the stupid thing. Okay, so you're it's also a, you're also almost art decorating with the money you spend on it. You're sort of, uh, not art decorating, but you're sort of, that's part of the look of the place you live that you want. Sure, except for the fact that my game shelf is behind the door and I don't actually get to look at it. But Well, well maybe you should move the game shelf. I should move, well, <laughs> yes, I should move the game <laughs> shelf. But you know, for me, I do like just having the thing. I like having the big collection, which part of why I don't generally spend money on steam thus far is because I don't get to look at my collection, but I felt like if I printed off my steam list and like pasted it to the wall, uh, I'd be more inclined to enjoy those games. Yeah. I didn't at first buy much on steam or on other digital services, but ultimately the possibility of full access and not having to have the space being taken up Mm -hmm. was the incentive. Now the, Jury remains out on whether or not my licenses eventually get revoked because these are digital things that we're not really buying, and you know we'll see what happens. But uh, so far, it's been a nice um, compromise for me, and plus, it's made me also, you know, try games I wouldn't otherwise want to buy a physical copy of because they're digital. Um, it's expanded my palette in some ways, and uh, you know, generally has connected me to gamers in ways that I wouldn't otherwise be connected to them. So, all right, it's pros and cons, I think. All right, we're going to do a lightning round here. Um, This is a segment called Seven from Kevin. 
Seven from Kevin. So I need you to give me a seven word response. You can you can spend some time thinking about it. I will figure it out. I can I can fill for you and pad for you if you need it. I'm going to give you uh, a couple topics. I just need a seven word response from you. Rare, the company that Rare. You know, Donkey Kong you know, Country. Rare. Yeah. yeah. They have a game coming out. They, actually, they don't have a game coming. There's a game coming out called Project Spark, which is this building creative thing from Xbox. Uh, and they're going to put Conquer, you like Conquer's Bed for a Day, into yes. this game. So, seven from Kevin on Conquer. What do you, what do you think? Just to clarify, just what I think about Conquer? Yeah. Yeah. So, I need seven seven words in a row. And it should it would help if it's a sentence, but um, you know, if you just need to. You know, rattle off a couple of words. Okay, let me formulate, and I'll tell you when I'm starting yeah. my actual okay. seven. That's fine. This is a good way to go through a bunch of these games where there's not a whole lot to say about them. But, okay, uh, I think I have my response. All right, let's hear seven from Kevin. Failed mascots always laugh last, never first. Damn. That's seven from Kevin. All right, another game that I want to get your response on. Um Double Fine has just been kicking ass left and right with all these games coming out. They can't stop making games, and they decided that the next game that they're going to remake is Grim Fandango. Did you hear that? About time. Yeah. That sounds like a winner, actually, for them. Yeah, so they're going to make remake Grim, Grim Fandango for the modern era. So um, seven, seven from Kevin on what would Grim Fandango mean to this current generation of gamers. I said gamer. Fuck. This current generation of people who play video games. We'll get a get a seven from Kevin. And just so you know, uh-huh. I don't want there to be dead air, so I'm going to talk while I type to make sure this is the right number of words. No, that's fine. It's a uh, we. I at one point had a segment like this that was like five word responses to news articles that we had one episode where we actually did it i think that the uh simplicity the economy of words can be good Mm -hmm. i think i have my response now all right seven from kevin on what does grim fandango mean to the modern video game audience hey geriatric adventure gamers get their day (laughs) all right very good because i know it's a fan of old school adventure folk it is true Let's see. Uh, I'm going to turn. To Actually, I'm, I would be curious to see how that game turns out. So, I've I've never played Grim Fandango. So, I that that seems like one that I should take a look at. If you, you spend some time with that genre, probably spend time with that game. Yeah, not not a genre I particularly love. Um, nobody announced the Golden Girls Telltale game adventure game. Which bums me out. Kevin, your thoughts on the ill-fated Golden Girls Telltale Adventure game that I wanted so desperately to exist. Give me give me seven. Seven from Kevin. You know, there isn't, there isn't like a great recap of all this stuff online. At least not that I've found thus far. What, just, just before I give you my answer, what's uh-huh. the name of the relatively famous, like, writer or showrunner who's part of golden girls do you know what i'm talking about mm, i don't there there's some cheech Marin. no someone who's like big in 
Comedy Now was attached to that show at some point. Uh, George Clooney was on that show for a little bit. No, I'm talking about like writer type. Estelle Getty. No. No, uh, I think Mitch Hurwitz was part of the spinoff show. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, huh. Am, am I right in... No? I, I don't know. There was a spinoff show called Golden Palace in yes. which they ran a hotel. Which is amazing. That's an amazing idea, <laughs> yeah, by the way. Right? <laughs> it's uh, so dumb. Why did not show not... Let me actually just check that before... Yeah, fact check. Uh, before I make my response... Susan Harris created numerous TV series, including Soap, Benson, It Takes Two, Empty Nest, and Secret Lives of Men. Yeah, Mitch Hurwitz uh, was part of Golden Palace from Arrested Development. That's a that's a fun fact. Yes. That, I don't know if that's seven words, but that's... That's a, not my seven word. Oh, my okay. seven word is coming up. Okay. Um, my seven word... Uh... Yeah, no, I'm not good at. No, that's fine. You're, I'm putting you on the spot here. You're allowed to take as much time as you need. Kevin, Kevin looks like he has it. I'm looking at him. He's counting. He's a. This uh, it's this is a cop out answer, but I got one. All right, I would like to hear it. If only rule McCallahan ruled Golden Palace. <laughs> if, Wanted to create a rule rule. Pun, but I couldn't get one in time. But, but I, I got to say, Golden it's, Palace would be a better game than Golden Girls. Rue McClanahan. Rue McClanahan. You know what I mean. Rue McClanahan. McClanahan. Rue yeah. McClanahan. There you go. Uh, yeah, actually. Because running a hotel, a hotel simulator. Yeah, it's, it's, it has like a, a built-in. Subplots of Golden Girls crap. Yep, totally. It has 100% like a built-in uh, objective-based Rue McClanahan. Oh, okay. Had passed away. That's what I, another thing I need to look up. Yes. See, I don't know Golden Girls that well, so I, you know. Uh, I watched a lot of Golden Girls. Okay, never did. Never did. And then, lastly, anything else good? Anything else worth getting seven from Kevin on here? I scroll through the list, which makes it feel really sad because there's not a whole lot coming out. I mean, speaking seriously about E3 for ten seconds, um, did you did you actually watch all the videos like you usually do? Or yes, okay. I, I watched everything live in a chat room with a splinter group of a the giant bomb chat. So like, okay. there's the chat, and then there's like the alt chat, or we like our own alt chat. Okay, um, you don't need to go into grimy details, no. but I, as somebody who maybe glanced at. Uh, digest i didn't really know right. what you had done i yeah i watched everything live and i find that I, it's just fun it's a fun couple of days for me to take in the opinion on what you know the the industry thinks about itself and how it projects itself and what it thinks is important you know for me it is not about the game announcements i'm always excited to hear about a, a big game announcement that is possibly something of interest to me but you know, that, you know, who knows how that stuff pans out. So I don't like to get excited about any individual announcements. It's well, it sets the tone for the company's public image for that year, right? And, yeah, and uh, and it, but it's it's fun to watch people put on a show. It's fun to see what it means to package video games into something to put on a stage to show to an audience who's there and also stream online and know it's going to be picked up by mainstream coverage. Um, and of course, I also watched the giant bomb feed of these things. So you could just watch the feed on their site or like the, you know, the normal press conference, 
or it was them sitting in a room talking over the press conference as it was happening live, like with their reactions. Right. I, I like the the same format of reactions to um, election results or to NBA draft or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like very similar to that. Uh, well, I'm open for anything else. Seven from Kevin. I We just heard recently that in Mirror's Edge 2, they're working on focusing on the making the combat better. Okay. So uh, that seems to be an unpopular sentiment. But I know that you are very much in support of adding more guns and combat to Mirror's Edge 2 because you thought the first game was too much running around. So Too many buildings, uh, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, too many buildings. So, Kevin, if you could give me seven words <laughs> on why you want to see more combat in a Mirror's Edge game. As I look at Fable Legends multiplayer, Sunset Overdrive, uh, I got to watch a bit of the Destiny Alpha. That game looks all right as someone who likes Borderlands. And was there any other Borderlands news? I can't. I don't think I saw any because they talked a little bit about. Well, you'd have ta- to use your music if there were. Yeah, any. the alarm. They talked a little about the Tales from the Borderlands, which is something I, I doubt I'm interested in. It would have to be particularly good i think i've got my seven for kevin for this one ah seven from kevin on why there should be more guns in combat in mirror's edge 2 let's hear it new hand animations make running more fun <laughs> the idea here is that because you're running a lot of the game if you had guns and stuff in your hands it'd right make it, you know kind of a yeah, better experience a variety i actually think that maybe would yeah <laughs> good you should go work for them i was gonna make some joke about like like mascara but that's probably in bad taste <laughs> All right, we'll give you. We'll find. I'm going to find one more, one last thing. Okay. One big old, big old last piece of news. It is saying something that there wasn't so much groundbreaking news that you kind of were like, "Oh yeah, this one." I know. Well, and usually, like there are good recap pages, and the recap pages that I'm looking at right now are not my favorite. Oh, okay. Have you heard about Alien Isolation? Is that like, have you heard the good news? <laughs> Do you hear about that? No, I haven't. That's... Okay. Alien Isolation is a survival horror game set in the alien fiction mm. universe in which um, you are on a derelict ship trying to avoid the alien. So it's alien? Yeah, it, it, it's okay. it alien, but you play as like Ripley's daughter or something like that. Okay. Um so, do you you are someone who is a fan, generally a fan of those films? I assume I, I taught the film Alien last oh, year. Actually, so, okay, so, so yes, I'm quite familiar with them. Then you're an expert on the subject. So, seven from Kevin. This I want you to put your game design hat on. You you call it your design cap. Okay. If you're Canadian, maybe you're like a you're thinking took. Okay. Yeah. Put your design cap on, and I want to hear as someone who is an expert in Alien, having taught it last last year. If you could do one thing in an alien game, seven from Kevin, what would that be? Okay, I actually have an idea that would be very cool. Oh, I'm um, I'm excited. I'm sorry. I think my hand is still sticky. So uh, we went out to dinner <laughs> earlier. <laughs> we went out to dinner earlier, and on the way back, I wanted to stop for ice cream because I'm a child, and like a child, I got an ice cream cone that was 
too big for me. And we were walking outside, and that thing instantly melted. And my hand was just... Like comically c- melted. C- it was just dripping everywhere. And Kevin was just shaking his head as he was looking at me. And, you know, my hand is just covered in white... Because one was... Uh, they were both, like, vanilla-based ice creams. So I had it all over my shirt. It dripped everywhere. My hand was just soaked to the core of it. I'm, like, holding my head sideways over it, trying not to drip on myself. Meanwhile, like... I'm throwing the cone into Kevin, who's trying to avoid me. And it sort of starts raining a yeah, little bit. Yeah, it's like drizzling, and we're trying to carry a, a six-pack of beer while consuming ice cream. Yeah, it's a pretty good moment. They should make a game about that. Yeah, they should. But I think I have my answer. All right, seven ready. from Kevin on what they should do in an alien game. Okay. I'll give you my seven from Kevin and then explain it. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Game needs some cat's eye view sequences. So, in Alien... Mm-hmm. There are some fantastic sequences filmed from the subjectivity of the cat Jonesy. There's a cat on board the ship, and some of the most memorable stuff happens to or around this cat Mm -hmm. Jonesy. Uh, There's actually a film critic called Ann Bilson who wrote a short story that's the events of what happens in the movie Aliens from the point of view of the cat. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern or Jonesy? Something similar. Uh, Jonesy. Jonesy. And it would be fantastic if there were sequences in this game where you are either controlling or momentarily in the point of view of the cat, and so you can see things happening in the ship, not from the human main character point of view, but rather from odd angles and kind of crawl through ducks and things like that. So cat's eye view would be fantastic. Cat cam, something like that. (laughs) Cat cam. It would be perfect. (laughs) That's it. So anyway. You're done. You're wonderful. Thank you, Kevin. You were a good sport. I appreciate it. Great to be here. Thank you, folks. Appreciate all your thoughts on uh, E3 and the games you've been playing. That's going to do it for this episode of Low Score Podcast. You can always visit us, lowscorepodcast at blogspot.com. Uh, email us any thoughts you may have on and anything in the world. Rate, rate, rate us on iTunes? We don't do that anymore. Okay. Don't uh, don't go to iTunes. I mean, you can go to iTunes. But, you, but don't rate us. No, if you're going to go to iTunes, you might as well you rate us. You might as well rate us on iTunes. But the thing that always works for us, that we always tell people to do, that we want them to do, is we want them to go on to Twitter. Yes, and, Twitter. And, you know, Jay is usually one who makes up the thing that they are supposed to tweet about. Okay. In reference to this episode when they finish listening to the episode. Does that mean I have to do it too? That means that means you have to do it too. So you can hit us on Twitter at low score podcast and say something to the extent of Well, uh, based on my last thing, uh give us your favorite uh animal moments from the game. Uh you know just animal moments. Tweet animal moments. Animal moments. <laughs>